0: Well, good morning, everybody. Um, Thank you for honoring God. Um, I just love being able to worship together, uh, just to be reminded that um, our meditations sometimes are louder, um, but they're focused on God and the opportunity to worship Him. The other thing I need to say is um, just how grateful I am for this group of people. So yesterday, this is kind of a brief video here, we had almost 150 people who were here helping us with the AIDS food pack. Um, and so it's just so cool to see so many people in their lovely hairnets. Um, did anybody wear one today? I don't see anybody any on anyone's head here today. Um, but it was a very special day, so that's the uh, picture right after we finished up. So uh, it took us just a little under three hours. Uh, I think it was a little over 30,000 meals that we packed up. To be able to provide and meet a need and i'm just so very proud of this church and your love for other people your willingness to serve jesus christ and so thank you very much why don't you give yourself a hand i mean that's just a great thing i love that so how many of you were um terrified or at least scared of the dark when you were a little kid anybody out here scared of the dark when you were a little kid yeah i i'll be honest in that i heard a story one time a little boy he really struggled with being afraid of the dark, and so his mom really wanted to try to help him out, and so she she decided to do a little parental therapy, whatever that looks like for us as parents, right? And so she said, uh, Johnny, I need you to go uh, to the shed in the backyard, and I need you to get the broom. I really need the broom. And he's like, no, I'm not going back there. It's dark. Because it was nighttime, and he says, No way. And she says, Look, honey, I just really need that. It's important to me, and I need you to help me with that. And he says, No, mom, I'm terrified of the dark. I'm not going out there. So she decides to play the God card on him. And she says, Look, honey, you need to know that Jesus is with you wherever you go. And you could see him thinking about that for a moment. And so finally he says, Okay. And he goes to the back door, opens up the door, and he says, Hey, Jesus, if you're out there, will you hand me the broom? <laughs> so what are you afraid of? What what uh, what fears do you have? One of my fears is the fear of pain. I do not like to have any kind of physical pain at all. I mean, I think most guys are that way, right? Our wives tend to say or other people say we're wimps, and it's pretty much true. I mean, if guys were responsible for having babies, the Human race would be gone, right? It would not happen. Um, so I, I don't like pain. In fact, a week from Tuesday, I'm going to have my right knee replaced, and my greatest fear of that is the pain that I'm going to have in the midst of that, and then the accompanying nausea. I don't want to throw up on a doctor or something while I'm there, right? So what, what is the worst pain you have ever experienced? what's the worst pain that you've ever experienced so take a moment and brag to the person next to you see who wins this what's the worst pain you have ever experienced tell the person next to you here's my worst pain Anybody want to share your worst, your worst pain? So, which is worse: is a kidney stone worse than giving birth? Anybody, one or the other? There you go. I mean, there's just so um, we all have physical pain that bothers us so very much, right? But I think there's pain that um, is even more difficult because it it's not visible. It's the kind of emotional pain that we go through. If you've lost a parent, you understand that, or if especially if you've lost a child, you know the deep pain that that comes. But there can be pain that comes from losing a job or not having security, the pain that can come from a rebellious child or a parent that leaves us. I mean, there's all kinds of emotional pain that we could go through. I think all of those are difficult. But I think one of the most difficult kinds of emotional pain is when we receive this personal attack and a betrayal. Somebody that we love, somebody that we trust, and they, they stab us in the back. And how do you handle that? When you're personally attacked, when you're betrayed, how do you handle that? When the darkness feels as if it's just kind of overwhelming you, what will, what will you do? So we're doing this series entitled, Who Are You Following? Um, we all have a lot of people in our life that influence us for the good and for the bad, right? Right? People who influenced us for some of us years ago, people who influence us today. And what we're trying to do is encourage you to open the Word of God and find people that can influence you in the areas and the places that you have struggles in your life. So we started with Daniel and we took a diff- couple different weeks as we studied Daniel and we said, Daniel, what can you teach us? And so we. First week, we learned that Daniel resolved to please God no matter what, that he drew a line in the sand. Even though he was far away from everything he knew and loved, he knew this is what God wanted, and so he resolved. And some of you made some of those resolutions. Some of you have made some choices because you felt like that was the right thing to do. The second week, as we looked at Daniel, we, we began to learn that when we understand that God is always with us, that problems... A diminish in their impact. They don't go away. They're still there. But because we understand God's there with us, those problems just diminish in their ability to impact us. And last week, Elliot did a great job as he talked to us about Joseph and the temptation that Joseph felt. And he, he talked to us about the fact that when we understand God's presence, that gives us the strength that we need to flee from temptation, to run from that. So today, as Phil mentioned, we're turning to the life of David. And so we're going to be in the psalm. So I want to encourage you to open your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 3. There's so much written about David. In fact, there is more written about the scope of David's life than any other character in the whole Bible. Now, you know, there's more written about Jesus, but we only know about three specific periods of Jesus' life. His birth, right, just a little bit there. Uh, a period of time when he was 12 years of age, and then three years of his ministry. With David, we're introduced to David when he's probably 15, 16, 17 years of age, and then we see all kinds of things that happen all throughout his life till the point that he dies. And so there's so much that we can learn from David. And so today in Psalm 3, what David is doing is he's um, he's recollecting, he's remembering, he's reflecting back to his time in his life when, when life was very dark and very difficult, and so Psalm chapter three is actually David not writing about the specific event that happened to him, but writing about how he felt about it, writing about his experiences in regard to that, and teaching us some things about what we do when we face pain and darkness, and difficulty in our life, and the overwhelming pain that he felt, and the dramatic difference, because in his pain and darkness, he looked to a God who delivers. And so here's what I want us to talk about today, and it's just simply this, that when you and I see God in the darkness, that's when we find deliverance. I didn't say when you feel God in the darkness, you know, when you... Um, are going through difficulties, sometimes you can't feel what God is doing in our lives. But when you and I see God, when we have this sense and this understanding that God is there in the, in the midst of the darkness, that's when we can find the deliverance that we need. And some in this room, I mean, we need God's deliverance. We need to turn to God and let God make an impact in our life. And I'm so thankful that God includes encouragements and challenges like this in his word that there are men and women in God's word that we can look to because there are some very specific things that are so crucial to us that God brings from thousands of years ago right into your heart and right into my my mind that we definitely need so I'm gonna read Psalm chapter 3 so I want to invite you if you would stand up I'll read it out loud You can follow along. You can use um, the Bible in the seat in front of you. The page number's in your notes there. You can use the YouVersion app. um, Go to the events and find Wildwood Christian Church. It'll be up on the screen as well. But let me read Psalm chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. David writes this. He says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. me pray lord as we open your word we do it because we we need you to speak into the darkness and the pain and the struggle that we have in our life lord help us in the midst of this to really see you maybe for the very first time lord this day in your name we pray amen you all may be seated so david begins this with a very honest cry um, to god He says, Lord, verse 1, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. So you see that David says, many are my foes. How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me. This is a guy who looks out and he sees an enemy everywhere. He is feeling desperately overwhelmed. You almost get this sense that David's on the verge of panic. And I think he's on the verge of panic because this is kind of that hypnotic power of fear. When we feel great fear, it's like it just so fills our vision we can't see anything else but the fear that we have at that moment. And so in David's case, the many that he's talking about here, or at least one of the most significant ones, is his son Absalom. I mean, to be betrayed by other people is painful. But to be betrayed... By your child to be betrayed by your son i mean that is a, a pain that carries a very heavy price tag and so the event actually comes from second samuel 15 so what's happening again this is after the event david's writing these words as he's looking back at this event and he's reflecting on it so absalom begins to kind of build an alliance to himself because his plan is he wants to overthrow his father i mean he is greedy he's arrogant he's a you know the bible describes him as very handsome with long flowing hair he's somebody that you know everybody notices when they walk by and so what he would do many things he would do but one of the things he would do is he would position himself by the gate the main gate because that's where most of the people from the outside would come in to do business in the city and a part of the business that they would do would be they would go to the king to petition for justice that was a part of the role of the king and so absalom would go sit in the gate and he would notice that some of these people were coming in to do that very thing and so here's what it says in second samuel 15 beginning in verse 3. Then Absalom would say to him, the person coming in for this, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you, which was a lie. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case would come to me and I would see that they received justice. Also, anyone who approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand and he would take hold of him and kiss him, Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. He did this for a period of four years, pulling more and more people unto him. So verses 1 and 2 again, when David says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. It's it's not just the actions, but it's also the words that they're saying to him. Um, God will not deliver him. That's what they were saying of David, which is a lie. But when you're feeling a lot of pain, When a lie has just a shred of truth, it feels like the truth, right? I mean, it can feel at times as if God is not with us. I bet if you were honest, you would say, yeah, I've experienced that myself. We feel this way, you know, when things can turn against us and they can overwhelm us and it's like we're David. There are foes all over the place and you hear the things that they're saying about us and then for some of us, Those self-condemning words, you know, we get that kind of soundtrack going on in our brain, and it becomes so overwhelming. And so for David, it must have felt true. It wasn't true, because he knew God would deliver him. But it must have felt true, and so his actions demonstrate this. So here's 2 Samuel 15, beginning in verse 13. A messenger came and told David, The hearts of the people are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. I mean, in his great fear, what does David do? He runs for his life. It's like that fight or flight. And David is this great warrior. But in this instance, he is terrified he is filled with fear he's listening to the lies as if everybody has turned against him and it wasn't as if David had disconnected himself from God but David had so allowed the fears that he saw in his life to to come in front of him that it completely blocked his vision of God see this was a taunt that maybe it was absalom maybe it was other people but this was a taunt which poses a question that david must resolve in his heart in the face of this threat and the taunt is simply this does god really deliver and it's the same kind of taunt that you've got to work out in your own heart and mind. in the face of whatever you look at and i deal with in our lives we have to answer the question does god really deliver can god really come through And yeah, sometimes we—most of the time—we believe it in our head, but sometimes our heart doesn't feel that. Doesn't feel like God is coming through in the midst of that. We can become so overwhelmed by the hypnotic power of the fear of our enemies. Now, for us, our enemies are spiritual in nature. We fight a, a a battle with an unseen evil. Here's how David said it in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. And here's the important part. He says, because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your kids are not the enemy. Okay, Your boss is not the enemy. Your mate is not the enemy. Your next door neighbor that annoys you is not the enemy our struggle he says is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms and so like david we have an enemy that threatens all that we hold dear but like david that enemy uses other people and circumstances in our life to try to discourage us. And sometimes the people that, they, that the enemy uses are people that we love and that we care for, but he does it to demoralize our spirit. And the goal of the enemy is to get you and I to take our eyes off of Almighty God who can save us. And he accomplishes that with fear. He does that so, to so overwhelm us with the fear that we just take our eyes off of God. And so again, David in this psalm is remembering that moment in his life, right? He's looking back to that moment of transformation. So he says, you know, many are saying God will not deliver him. But then he says this in verse 3, but you, Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory. You are the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. See, he's remembering He's remembering that God delivered him, that God was a protector of him. And so what David does is, rather than giving the taunt back to the enemies, right, rather than saying something like, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, God's going to get you. I mean, that's how you taunt other people, right? You know, in the face of them saying, you know, God's not going to deliver you, what does David do? He cries out, but he cries out to God see when you and i are attacked by somebody else the person that we turn to depend, demonstrates who it is that we trust in and so when somebody else attacks us and we use our brilliant intellect to be able to turn back the nanny nanny boo boo god's gonna get you right we're depending upon ourselves but when we immediately take that to god and we say god i need you to do something about this many are my foes around me what we're demonstrating is that our trust is in god david turned to god and i love what eugene peterson says david reminds us that we do not acquire security by eliminating enemies we get security by putting our trust in god and how much better it would be for us in the midst of that kind of panic to remember that god is a god who delivers us verse three again but you lord what you are a shield around me not just a shield in front of me but you're a shield all the way around me he says you are the um my glory in other words david realized it wasn't his intellect it wasn't his prowess that was going to deliver him but it was god it was his glory i don't exalt in my power and ability but in yours god he says you're the one who lifts my head high and so anytime i attempt to use my brilliant intellect against somebody else because they personally attack me it never works out it always makes me look bad it always puts my head down in the ground but when i turn to god and i say god i need you to be the one i need you to step into this situation god is the one who lifts me higher peter said this in first peter 5 6 humble yourselves therefore under god's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time you're the one that i turn to god so when we're in our pain We need to take our eyes off of whatever that happens to be in front of us that's so overwhelming us, that enemy, and we need to look to the one who is our shield, who is our glory, the one who lifts our head higher. I think what we need to do is move our eyes from the multitude of the enemy around us and lift our eyes up to the God who delivers us. Then we need to turn our ears off to the lies that come our way from the enemy and we need to tune in to the truths that come from god's word because if you gaze too long at the enemy it's like they become bigger and bigger in our sight like the israelite says we're we're like grasshoppers and they're like giants the hypnotic power of the enemy of this fear is only broken when we truly look to god and we let god speak into our lives Look to God in the darkness to find deliverance and security. But not only does David change his focus, right, but you, Lord, but the impact on him is profound. So here's Psalm chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. He says this, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Now, that is a picture of total trust in God. I mean, the ability to fall asleep when the enemy's all around us and know I'm gonna wake up again. You ever heard the phrase sleeping like a baby? So here's a picture from almost five years ago. That's little Lael who just turned five um, this past week. And so uh, what I'm actually doing is watching March Madness at my son's house in Columbia at this time but I have to have this cute little thing. I mean, she is content. I mean, that is sleeping like a baby. That is complete and total trust. David describes it in this way. I lay down and I go to sleep. I wake up and you're there with me, even though I'm still surrounded. He didn't say his circumstances were changed, but he knew who was in charge. He trusted in God. In other words, God's got this. Whatever the this ends up looking like, God has it. God is in control. Because, and and I love this phrase that he says there because the Lord sustains me. The picture of that Lord sustaining me, it's like I am so overwhelmed and I am leaning against God, and He's the one who's got His arms around me and He's holding me up. He sustains me. He holds me up. He's the one who provides the strength that I need in the midst of whatever it is that I face. The Lord is my shepherd, David writes in another place. He he restores my soul. And I will never lie down in peaceful rest if I think it all depends upon me. I mean, that's at the heart of so much of what is today recovery, right? Right? Alcoholics Anonymous, step two, I came to believe a power greater than ourselves could restore us to a place of sanity. It's gotta be somebody else in the midst of our pain and struggle that can bring us to that place. And so in reflecting, David finally makes a very honest admission. So verse seven, arise, Lord, deliver me, my God, strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked, from the Lord comes deliverance, May your blessings be on your people. Now, you got to appreciate the honesty of the Psalms, right? I mean, most of us would not include this in our prayers if we're like in church, you know, break the jaws of the enemy. Um, but i got to tell you, if you want to become a good prayer, you got to be learn, learn to be honest with God. Because God already knows what you're thinking. God already knows what's going on in our mind. And the more honest we are to God about... You know this is from david's gut right he's like this is really how i feel about this circumstance right now it's like god i want you to jack them in the jaw so much that it just shatters their teeth so they can't say that stuff anymore right you ever prayed a prayer like that to god some of you haven't because it's a little bit difficult right i mean think about that we You know we kind of understand the fear that David faces we we understand the circumstances because we've experienced that we even can really relate to God's deliverance in the midst of that but the whole thing of jacking them in the jaw and shattering their teeth it kind of seems to go against the very things Jesus taught us right like he taught us you know what what are we supposed to do don't return evil for evil but return good for evil You know, he says, if somebody strikes you on the cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek, right? Um, We're supposed to pray for our enemy. And so you look at a passage like this and you say, maybe David's just a little bit too honest. Hit him in the jaw, God. Shatter their teeth. I think what David is doing is, rather than scheming about how he's going to do that to them, He's talking to God about it. I think in a sense what he's saying is, God, this is really how I feel. This is what I want. But I'm trusting that you're going to do whatever needs to happen in this person's life. Here's here's how I feel. I'm being honest with you right now. Some people struggle with this because is it a sin to express the desire to God to hurt somebody? Is it a sin to express the desire to God to hurt someone? I think it's a sin to be dishonest with God. So if that's how you feel, God's big enough to be able to deal with that. And by giving it to God, what you're saying is, God, you've got this. I trust in you. I'll let you be the one that's going to handle this. We leave the vengeance to God. So what do we learn from David here? I think the first thing we learn is that the life of the faithful is not a life free from pain. I mean, all of us understand that there's trouble in this world, but we struggle with it like, you know, have I done something wrong? This is David, who the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. He had trouble. You're going to have trouble. The life of a faithful person is not free from pain. And remembering that truth can help us in the midst of the pain. It's not God trying to punish me, right? The second thing we need to learn is this. You need to remember... that God is for you. God is for you. The, The presence of pain isn't an indication that God hates you. It isn't an indication that God has left you or that God is mad at you. It's just an indication that that's the kind of world that we live in. And it is also an indication that we realize that God is big enough to be able to use the pain and struggles in our life if we let him, If we surrender to him, God's big enough to use that to help me learn the things I need to learn or to grow or at least just to trust him when I don't really understand what happens. But you and I need to stop believing the lies of the enemy because the enemy says things like God is not for you. God can't deliver you. You're, You're beyond hope. And those are all lies. Remember that you are a child that he loves dearly. That because of Jesus Christ, you are no longer condemned for your sin, but you are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. That he loves you and that he sustains you, that he has forgiven you and given you real hope. And we need to remember that. And sometimes for some of us, it is the remembering of what God has done in the past. And if God did it in the past, he can do it today. I think if David had remembered that, he wouldn't have freaked out and panicked like that. But he, he, he didn't remember. It. He did freak out. And some of us do the same thing, right? We forget. Oh, yeah, God took care of that the, you know, 100 previous times. But we forget in the midst of the pain. But David eventually remembered. And that's so important for us. Even if we find ourselves panicking, it's not too, too late to remember that God is for you. And the last thing is this. We need to look to God in our pain. I mean, that needs to be the very first step. That we look to God in the midst of our pain. That we train ourselves and we challenge ourselves that when we feel that pain, the first thing we do is we cry out to God, God, I, I need your help. We need to stop looking at the problem. Don't let the hypnotic power of fear keep you looking at the enemies. We, when we change where we look, it literally changes everything. May I come in? If you bend your medial collateral ligaments, place one talus in front of another, I don't see where you'd have a problem. <laughs> of course, if there were a news story covering this event, the headline might read, Small Brain Enters Room. Fingers. What's the answer? Oh, you're another one of those bright young fellows who always know the right answer, that, huh? Welcome to real life. How many do you see? Your four fingers, aren't there? No, no, no. Look at me. What? You're focusing on the problem. If you focus on the problem, you can't see the solution. Never focus on the problem. Look at me. How many do you see? Look beyond the fingers. How many do you see? Eight. 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 Yes. Yes. Eight's a good answer. See what no one else sees. See what everyone else chooses not to see. I think God's saying to me, he's saying, Doug, look at me. In the midst of the pain that I go through, it's like, I keep focusing on the wrong thing. And it's like, from the Lord comes deliverance, not from me. Not from you, but from the Lord comes deliverance. And so for you and I to see God in the darkness can lead us to deliverance, to the security that can only come from God. We pray for us. Lord, I ask for your great help for us to be able to look to you. I, Lord, I need that. Whether the pain is big or small, Lord, just this week, just... Pounded it into my brain to always look to you lord and help us as your people to recognize that in the midst of the pain and the darkness you are there and when we look to you and see you father you're the one that provides deliverance and for that we give you thanks in your most precious name we pray amen